0: listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You. For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome my friend and fellow writer, Tracy Wood. I first met Tracy through my workshops when she was completing her memoir, My Mother's Piano, From Stuff to Stories. As if Tracy's work wasn't impressive enough, I also came to learn that she'd served in the Marines for five years, she taught secondary English at a variety of schools coast to coast, and she continues to teach. Only now, she leads writing workshops for adults in her New Hampshire community. Last but not least, Tracy is the youngest of seven kids, which I think as the youngest myself may be part of the reason why she knows how to hold her own on the page and in life. Tracy, welcome to Author Can I Ask You. Thank you, Joni. It's so nice to be here. But I want to say an extra thank you. Because as you already know, this is going to be a topsy-turvy episode of Author Can I Ask You? Meaning that instead of me interviewing you about your wonderful writing and your creative process, you have kindly offered to interview me about my new essay collection, Party Like It's 2044. Tracy, thanks so much again for volunteering to be the host and ask away. All right, here we go.
1: Here we go. Jump right in. And I want to judge a book by its cover. So your title is Party Like It's 2044, but the subtitle is Finding the Funny in Life and Death. Your writing is not only funny, but you make writing look like fun. And it reminds me of a ballerina that makes doing those crazy (laughs) bleeps when her toes are all cramped up in those shoes and she makes it look easy. Uh, Can you tell me about a time when you were writing this that wasn't fun? And more importantly, how did you power through to get back to the fun part that you offer us in your pages?
0: I once wrote about this in a a book for writers, and the creative process has two parts. I always said, there's the fun part and the, are we having fun yet part? (laughs) And I think the only way to muscle through, because I've had, I have lots and lots of difficult days, struggling days, is just to plow through. I, once somebody was having a hard time with both their writing and their health and And I wrote to him kind of in a joking way, because he has a great sense of humor. And I said, well, you know, if you're going through hell, keep on writing. But I think (laughs) that pretty much is the philosophy. When I keep the habit of writing, when I show up, and it doesn't have to be every day, but certainly consistently, I can trust that I can plow through. And eventually it does, the struggle does give way to fun. You know, that said, I have certain phases of the creative process that are much more fun than others. And the first drafts, tend to be the hardest, the biggest struggle for me, even though they should be the drafts where, you know, it's all good. So I think we all have struggles with writing, but if we plow through, it does find, we find our foothold.
1: That's great. And it's great inspiration for life and also in writing. I know that as a teacher, you emphasize the importance of writing scenes. And your book is full of scenes that we are right there in the middle of it with you. So I'm wondering that when you are writing, do you feel that your essays are inspired by a particular scene that you experience as opposed to some, you know, as opposed to starting out saying, well, I really want to impart this message or develop a
0: theme? Very much the first. I never know what I'm really going to write about or why in the heck whatever blip of an idea I have is going to merit being an essay all I can start with is maybe some moment, some memory that pops in my mind and and almost as if I'm seeing it in scene. And that could be the smallest little interaction. So I have very little when I start out to work with, but there's something about that memory or that scenic moment that just keeps niggling at me. And so I'll just start writing that because I think that writing scenes is easier sometimes than trying to write about these abstractions, life and love and loss and death and what I'm trying to say thematically. All that is crucially important and probably the underpinning of why we write. We want to communicate these deep feelings or ideas. But for me, it just has to start with a little moment that just won't let itself go in my mind. So I often start with a scene and and then I have to riff and have faith that it'll go somewhere. And eventually the deeper idea, the deeper meaning of what I was trying to communicate comes through. And um, 40,000 rewrites later, there's an essay.
1: (laughs) I remember um, an early class that I took of yours and the first time that I heard you say, what about what it's about? Yeah. But I wonder, like the essay where you're describing the correspondence from a former student and it, it becomes clear that this is you. Thinking about this, and this is very, it's your own self-reflection, even though the thing that drives the story forward is this letter from the former student, and you develop her into a character. But throughout this, you know that at the end, it's not about her, it's about you and what you have learned from the experience.
0: Yeah, a personal essay is always about the person writing it. So Even if on the surface, the plot very much showcases something outside of the writer, There has to be some shift in the writer, the narrator's mental focus for it to feel like something has really happened in this piece. It's not just an anecdote. And so, yeah, there has to be some, some substantive underbelly, even if the story is entertaining, that's not enough, or at least it's not enough in my book. So um, yeah, what did I learn? How did I grow? What did it reaffirm? You know, and that sneaks in by the end, and hopefully I take the reader along with me because otherwise it it's just a funny story or an interesting story, maybe, but I don't feel like it's elevated to an essay until I discover something for myself and and somehow manifest that on the page.
1: And I think even furthermore, it it could be in in different hands, it could be mean. But that that essay is not that. That essay isn't about the character. And anytime you're talking about a character, it's not about them. It's about a vehicle for your learning and it, it it isn't I mean you're you don't uh, you, you treat it with a its it's very clear that this is you figuring it out
0: yeah that's a hard thing to not be mean for me not because I'm a mean person but because most essays not most but several start from a from a little moment of anger oh how could they right. how dare she right and then it's so easy to just start ranting about whomever that person is that that is starting that first scenic moment and you have to get way past that through the drafting process to present the story in a very balanced way and not sugarcoat anything but make sure the point isn't to mock them or stack the deck to make them look ridiculous so that you know that's that's right. always a challenge for any essayist i think
1: i think so and and without it I mean, there's no, you can't have a story without some conflict. So you, um, similarly with my ex best friend, that is, that to me is so, um, it's, it's just really sensitive reflection. And I think many of us have had this situation, particularly like, uh, recently where we find this person that we're close with, and then we grow apart for real reasons. And then where do we stand? And. To be reminded of what we liked about them. Those are those are things that are so relatable. And uh, you again, you treat that with um your questioning yourself in this relationship. And we can feel how important that was. And it reminds us of our own relationship.
0: So you yeah. do a really nice job with that. As oh, well. thank you. Yeah, that's that essay is my ex ex best. <laughs> yeah. About <laughs> a woman I was so mm-hmm. close to. And then for for reasons to deal with politics and life and whatever, we really had a rift. And I encounter her accidentally um, after we'd been distanced, I encounter her accidentally in the gym parking lot. And that essay, speaking of scenes, was very short and conveyed entirely in scene. But the scene captured, I hope, when your guard is down, when you're not all loaded for bear and clutching you know, your ideology and your anger, and you just reconnect with a friend almost because she ambushes you because you encounter in a parking lot. <laughs> there she is again. There's that friend again. And it it made me think about, yes, major divisions in our belief systems and things like that. But if I could let go of the anger, could this ex-friend become a friend again? So it was a it was just a, a moment, but it it was very memorable to me. That leads me
1: to my question. In your writing, you put yourself in these awkward situations. And um, I'm, I'm working on a piece right now about bravery. And I think that the type of stories that you tell these personal essays are very brave. I mean, your readers now, they know that you're bad at directions, and you're always on time, and you talk too much when you're nervous, like you've just put yourself out there. And and I'm wondering, do you think that the personal essay requires writers to be more vulnerable than somebody who writes short stories
0: or novels or, you know, certainly other nonfiction? Well, that's a good question. I think anybody who who attempts writing is making themselves vulnerable because it really matters to us that you know how people react to what we write, or usually I think it matters to a lot of people. So I think we're all vulnerable because we are all doing the brave thing, the act of writing. I'm not sure if there's a hierarchy, but in a personal essay, because you are the main character, or at least a performative eye in the essay, yeah, you're revealing more of yourself. So yeah, there can be a real added vulnerability. That said, we're in control. I only revealed what I felt comfortable with, and more to the point, because I am a writer who rewrites and rewrites and rewrites, by the time I did have my final draft, I was very comfortable with what I said and how I said it.
1: That's a nice reminder for people that are are really just starting out writing and that you don't have to be afraid of your first draft because you don't have to live with it. I think that you've said that the only draft that's perfect is your first draft because it's your baby draft. But you can be as vulnerable as you want in it. And then later on, you can go back and find the filters and make it just right. And I think it's a good reminder that just because we put it on the page doesn't mean
0: that's what's going out to the world. Yeah, I think in the early stages of the creative process, any censoring, any second guessing, Any being aware of an audience on your shoulder only gets in the way of you really tapping into your own voice, your own style, and your own authentic material. And if things, again, land on that page that ultimately need to be refined and certainly probably rewritten, um, so that's what the revision process is for. So the more free we can be in that rehearsal or that first draft the more we'll tap into the real meaningful stuff. And an essay, the word essay means to try. So the more freedom we have in those early drafts, the more we can try to discover what it is we're really writing about and why. So yeah, I, I call those first drafts the only drafts where it's all good and the expression it's all good just drives me batty in the real world (laughs) but in an early draft I really believe it it's all good the adverbs the mismatched tenses the what the hell is this about thing it's all good because it's something you can now reflect on react to revise build on so those first drafts are all good it's the later drafts where you then have to make some real discerning decisions and And improve everything from the structure to the line editing, if it's necessary.
1: That's that was such a helpful reminder for me. Starting out teaching English, I start by having those filters up, and the feedback that I always got was, "Well, the writing is great, but where are you?" Yeah, I am telling you a story, (laughs) so it's helpful to remember to to um, you know put it out there a little bit, and and you have time and space to. To make it your own, that uh, I think you said you're in charge. It's nice to remember. Yeah,
0: you're the boss of your story, and particularly in this genre, as I noted, essay means to try. An essay is all about discovery, and so if you don't just let it all, you know, rip on the page, if you're second guessing yourself or protecting something, you're not going to discover, or it will take longer to discover. The deeper, the what about? what this piece is about level. So, and, and I have to say, this is the, that is the draft where I struggle, you know, I'm so um, indoctrinated on craft and structure and and I know the vocabulary of criticism. And so I really put the cart before the horse many times and I'll write a sentence and say, oh, that's not a good sentence. And I'll write another sentence and say that, that would never fly. And so I have to somehow force myself through habit to let go in those early drafts and just just write for discovery. That's a great lesson. I hope someone can teach me because I still struggle with it. I mean, I have to get to that place or I wouldn't have any essays, but I just wish it didn't often take me so long to get to that free place, but I'm working <laughs> on it, Tracy.
1: Actually, that leads me to a question. So you have this this collection you've written seven books and and this particular collection has quite variety in the tone and and some of the the vehicles that you're playing with. And I would ask, I mean, I know that we don't have favorite essays. Our essays are like our children and we don't have favorites. But do you have an essay that maybe seemed a little bit easier than others?
0: I think that the type of essay I write is often ambitious in that I often write braided essays. I try different forms because I think they make the whole Greater than the sum of the parts. When I come from this angle and that angle, and suddenly these two lenses through which I'm looking at the same story or subject matter or theme, it gets a little bit more meaningful to me and hopefully to readers. So, you know, they that takes that type of writing takes a little bit more time and trust. And also, I challenged myself on approaches. Like one essay is in the form of a screenplay, and I'm not a, a screenplay writer, so I had to know enough to format it right. Another is in the form of a of a speech in an English department from a, a very old English professor. So I had to work on that voice. And I love writing essays that have different forms one is in the form of all Amazon reviews of this very book <laughs> that one I loved that <laughs> so one. <laughs> I love that diversity but yeah it, it does make the writing a little bit more challenging. It's the excavating and what about what this is about that can take a little longer.
1: Nice to have an editor at that point That's where my husband says so
0: where are you going with this? <laughs> yeah
1: and that's after I've been through it a little bit I'm like okay it's time it is time now to ask that question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I you know as you know, I wrote a book on feedback because I'm just a huge advocate for people joining workshops, good workshops, for um, adding a little air to their writing process by asking people to read early drafts, middle drafts, later drafts. And I'm still a little stingy about sharing my work with others in the early phases. But one form of feedback that you just talked about, and is probably the best form of feedback for me, is to just have a listener or a sounding board as I sort of talk through, well, I'm not sure what this is about, but I think I was kind of getting at, and suddenly in an open conversation, I often discover what it's about. So feedback in one of its many forms, isn't somebody picking up a red pen. It can be a sounding board. It can be just somebody um, who you really trust talking about the material. So yeah, that form of feedback really, really serves often for me in the midway point where i have the plot kind of unfolded or i'm just stuck and then it really helps to have somebody say what what are you trying to do here mm, mm, <laughs> but nice. they have to say it in a positive way or i'll be crushed <laughs> like, i i taught middle
1: school for many years and often when a, a student in the fall that hadn't had me before would ask me they'd turn in something and say can you correct this for writing i'd say yes no. <laughs> I can yeah. edit it. I can talk to you about it, but I'm not going to correct it. That's after you hand it in.
0: Yeah. I only teach adults, mm-hmm. as you well know. And <laughs> I get adults who say, Well, I finished my manuscript. So can you edit it? Meaning, can you now just fix it up? And <laughs> in creative writing, you know, we are all blessed with copy editors if we're lucky enough. And they can make on the page suggestions, but you know, most of the time when we get readers, they're not going to fix nor should they fix our creative writing. They're simply to give us responses that help us to fix the writing. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to write for it or revise productively, well, then get thee to a workshop. My yes, say, Take are, your class. Yeah, my <laughs> workshops are all about teaching craft, the very craft that is the only gateway I know to then the magic that is literature. Would you read an excerpt for us? This essay is called But Enough About Me. This is an interesting essay because it actually appeared in my previous essay collection, but I really liked it and I wanted to kind of update it a little bit or refine it a little bit. So it's one of the only two essays in here that had been pre-published at another in another collection, but it's been refined and different. So it's about a time when I got to a luncheon for women in the arts and I am way outclassed in this thing. And I'm seated at this round table. And next to me are two women whose names I learned are Marion and Amanda. But I have nicknamed Marion, who is uh, right next to me, lady headband, because she has a tortoiseshell headband on. And anyway, you'll, you'll see what happens, or at least a section from this essay. These women, I realized, were patrons of the arts. It all made sense now. Our philanthropic hostess, the predominance of elderly, well-appointed guests, the location of this restaurant, not in my economically diverse town, but one upscale town over. Most of the women who lived in this community were not only wealthy, but possessed a daunting degree of civic duty and global responsibility. During elections, for example, they didn't just display campaign signs. They retrieved those signs post-election and turned them into book bags for needy (laughs) children in Honduras. Excuse me. The server reached over my shoulder to deliver a basket of hard-crusted rolls. Good. Something to occupy my hands. I took a roll, cracking it in half. With tiny silver tongs, I retrieved two balls of butter from a chilled bowl. By now, it was painfully obvious to me that my seatmate to the left, Beverly by her name card, was going to be a no-show. This situation happened to me with peculiar frequency at wedding receptions, dinner parties, and most recently at a humor writing conference of 400 writers. Every assigned table in the hotel's banquet room was filled with the exception of mine, occupied solely by me and a large, ruddy-faced man with a walking aid who no doubt would have switched seats if his gout-riddled feet had allowed mobility. <laughs> Despite the focus of the conference, I failed to see the humor in this situation. <laughs> I think I'll stop right there. That that luncheon was quite memorable, I must say.
1: The character is perfect. You don't need to say much. Um, <laughs> oh, was recently talking in my class about can you find that that perfect item of clothing or that perfect prop that brings your character to life and and you did it.
0: Yeah the fun thing about writing essays is and also the key component of successfully writing essays is you have to be observant. I didn't make up that tortoise shell headband and I am intimidated by women who wear tortoise <laughs> shell headbands so it was just handed to me and but of course in order to tap into our material, the stories that matter, the stories that somehow have something to say to us and hopefully to our readers, we really do have to be observant. What are the things we notice? What are the details? What dialogue do we, or conversations, do we overhear that seem to prickle or, or um, make us curious? And so that's one of the, the additional challenges of being a writer is I have a, you're, you're always writing in a way. Even when you're not near your laptop, because you need to be paying attention, you need usually a pen and notepad in hand just so you can capture these things. So I remember at that luncheon actually realizing, even in the moment, oh God, if I survive this humiliation, then I think there's a good essay here. You mentioned that
1: you're always writing, and I I definitely I have that habit myself. But I'd like to ask you a little bit about rest. So mm-hmm. you are you're you're teaching writing, you're writing all the time, and now you're promoting this book, which takes a completely different set of skills and energy and and time. So a professional athlete gets done running a marathon or having a big season and they get to take a break. So how is it um, with all of the work that you're doing around writing, how do you find time for rest? And what is what what does that look like to you?
0: Yeah, that's such an interesting concept for a writer. Um, I find that when I'm in the habit of writing, I always have time to write, whether it's from four to nine in the morning or whatever. And sometimes I'm fueled when I have more segmented days, when I don't have open-ended days where you only have until 9 a.m. So you better get to it. Um so I feel like there's plenty of room, even in a busy day, often for me to find a way to write. But the concept of rest is important because sometimes if you are stuck on an essay to just let it go, because your unconscious will probably be working on it. So that's rest or do a different type of writing, which is that let's just be observational At the, you know for for a few days or to maybe just give yourself a total break and not write. That said, though, I find personally, and it might not be for other people, but if I take too many days off from the habit of writing... It's just so much harder to get back. I mean, the analogy of running is really a good one. It
1: might be that the better analogy then for an athlete is cross training. And so there are days that you just aren't coming up with anything new. And so that's a good day to line edit, or a day that you're not feeling particularly creative. And so that might be more promotional or things like that, that there's always something to do, even if it's not. Generating new ideas all the time, or just cranking through drafts that don't feel like they're going anyplace.
0: That cross training analogy is just great. Maybe, you know, go to another chapter and just use the left side of the brain to edit or whatever. And this is such an important topic for writers because the craft of writing is how we're going to get to where we want to go. But the other huge issue that actually gets more in the way than if a writer has a deficit of craft that can be, you know, acquired is all the head stuff Mm. that can get in our way and then how we often undermine our own creative processes we often blame others for kind of bringing us down or stopping us in our tracks but very often we are sabotaging ourselves and so um my book on writing good naked is very much about strategies to really engender a well, the subtitle is "How to Write More, Write Better, and Be Happier." Because this issue, the head stuff, has to be looked at, but it it takes some conscious paying attention to what we're doing and how we're writing.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's also a really good point. I I always like to try and find uh, a way for uh, for students to share their work somehow, whether you know even teaching middle school or or high school, because that gives you then some sort of a deadline. And that in itself can be super helpful. It can interfere with parts of the
0: writing, but it
1: it gives you a game date to come back to the sports analogy.
0: Absolutely. I mean, unless we're writing a journal or a secret diary, you know, our ambition is to write something that means and communicates what we want to say to somebody else, a reader. And so feedback can serve that process every draft but i always like to think oh you know people return to my workshop over and over again because i'm such a good teacher um and i'm not going to you know be falsely humble but the truth is deadlines i give people deadlines and that probably is the <laughs> biggest motivator for some of the more seasoned writers to just keep coming back because they teach me actually everyone in my workshop teaches me as much as i teach them but but certainly some people are there and have already acquired craft but they need deadlines and to be accountable but i'll take it as long as it brings them back because i am constantly fed by my workshops i am learning every single week from the people all the people in my workshop so for whatever reason they return or try it out i am very grateful
1: Joni, this has been a delight it's been so much fun chatting (laughs) with you and talking about your book party like it's 2044 finding the funny in life and death and talking about your work as a writer in general and your teaching. So thank you so much for sharing
0: this time with me. You did me a solid, Tracy. <laughs> and you've taught me a lot in the workshops we've shared. And this conversation has also enlightened me. So I really, really appreciate it. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation between me and my lovely friend, Tracy Wood who clearly could take over as host of this podcast. In the meantime, though, I encourage you to read and subscribe to Tracy's weekly newsletter, aptly entitled, My Mother's Piano, which can be found at tracylwood.substack.com. Also, please visit my author website where you'll find lots more info about my new essay collection as well as my two books for writers. You can find me online at joanibcole.com.